Well, hello, King's Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm thrilled wherever you are today, anywhere in Atlantic Canada, or even in the United States, or across our nation, or even all around the world, wherever you are, I'm glad you have joined us. We are in our second week of a collection of teachings we're calling Good News. And quite simply, what we're doing is unpacking the story, the truth, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And we are asking the question, what makes it such good news. If you were with us last week, we unpacked and started this series by looking at the topic of the fact that the good news of Jesus is good, and more importantly, it's news. It's something that's been done that we're invited to live under and into and from with our whole lives. But today we're going to jump in, and for the next several weeks, we're going to do the deep dive. So, so get your pencil, get your notepad, download the PDF off of our website or in the feed, and get something to take notes because this is a teaching series where we're going to start looking at different ways and different ways to understand the good news and why it's good news. And so today we're going to jump right in and for the next several weeks unpack many reasons why the gospel of Jesus is the best news that you'll ever hear in your whole life. There's a few reasons we're doing this. One is because I believe that in this time and in this hour, this is what we as a church need to do. We need to focus in on Jesus. Jesus told us if we remain in him, we'll bear much fruit. It says in 2 Corinthians that if we contemplate him, if we focus on him, he will transform us. And so for us as King's Church, this is why we're doing this. It's, it's a season of shifting and changing. And so we want to change into the likeness of Jesus, not into the likeness of our circumstances. And so we're doing that very intentionally over the next several weeks as we dive in today. But more than that, not not just strategically, but we also realize right now, don't we, that we could all use some good news. We could all use some good news that in the light of this season that we're in with the coronavirus, we are all hungry for some good news. This has been a season, if you're like me, I suspect you are because all of us are dealing with it, where the bubble of our confidence and our security and our ability, all these things are being burst before us because of the weight of the reality of this coronavirus. If you're like me, you have been made keenly aware of your own limitations over the past several weeks. Maybe some of them have been worth laughing at. I know all of us have had to venture out into trying things that normally we hire a professional to do, such as haircuts. Anybody try to try their hand at hairdressing lately? My wife and I had a really good laugh last week when we were behind my four-year-old son trying to give him a perfect fade on the back of his head. It is a good thing he wasn't able to see what was going on back there when his dad got a hold of the clippers. Let me tell you, my wife and I were hunched over laughing behind his back at the incredible fade, or two-step, I call it, uh, that we gave my son. Some of these things have been funny to just kind of come up against our limits. But more than that, most of us have been dealing with difficulty, terrifying and jarring realities of our own limitations, haven't we? We've been struck and and even been made sober because of the weight of the reality that we're going through. Many bubbles and delusions and comforts that we had have now been burst and we're just left to deal with the reality of our existence in this time. I had a friend of mine call me just a few days into into the crisis And he asked me, hey man, how are you doing? And and the only word I could think of was, I'm sober. 
I'm sober that some of the, the things that maybe I was under, the, the ideas that I had and the confidence that I had and the comforts that I had are gone. And there's just this real raw feeling that we're left with in this time. The bubble of our confidence and our comfort has burst and we're left to deal with the reality and the frailty of our own existence. Many of us, whether you're Christian or not, are coming up against that reality and dealing with an existential crisis. Have you ever had a moment where you have just kind of this utter rude awakening to the frailty and the finality of your own life and existence? Have you ever had that moment? I remember probably the first time I ever had like an existential crisis where my mind was simultaneously blown and then brought back into how small and fragile and vulnerable I really am. I remember I was 19 years old, fresh out of my first year at Liberal Arts University in Fredericton, and I was working for my uncle, pest control company, driving the pest van from one job to the other, and, and on the radio, uh, the voice, a, a clip from the, the classic recording of the um, astrophysicist Carl Sagan. If anybody remembers his, his work on the cosmos, he was recorded talking about a picture that NASA's Voyager actually took six billion miles or six billion kilometers away from the Earth, and it captured this, this picture of this pale blue dot. You probably can barely see it on your computer screen today. But in, in this ray of sunlight, this pale blue dot that is the earth. And Carl Sagan's voice comes on the radio talking about this. I went home and Googled it so that I could see the picture for myself. And he's talking about how frail and small and finite and vulnerable we are on planet earth. And we get these illusions of grandeur and these delusions of comfort and these delusions of our own capacity. But when you scale out and you deal with the weight of reality, he said, every saint and every sinner, he said, there they are suspended in a sunbeam on a pale blue dot. And when I saw that picture and I heard his voice, something just rattled at my core. And now I was in a season of my life where I was wrestling with the big grand questions of life anyway. And so this came to me at a critical time where it pushed me further into my search to, into how to answer the big questions of my existence. I suspect maybe it wasn't Carl Sagan for you. Maybe there was some other thing, a circumstance or a scenario in your life, or maybe right now is the first time you've ever had to face it where you're dealing with the, like the finitude and the limits of your own existence where you start to ask the big questions of life that maybe for a season where it seemed like they weren't as pressing and then all of a sudden they're thrust upon you where you ask the questions, you know, what do I do about my life? Where do I find life? And when I find it, how do I hang on to it? How do I protect it? How do I sustain it? These are the big questions that we're all asking at different times and seasons of our lives. And sometimes it feels as though we've answered them only to come into a season like the coronavirus where we realize maybe some of the answers that we had are wholly inadequate and insufficient to really be answers about the big questions of our existence. We've all asked these sobering questions. The sobering question, where do I find life? Where do we find life? And we have these existential crises when the ways that we've answered these questions, this big question, 
when the way that we were answering it is no longer sufficient. Like maybe for you, six weeks ago, you were eyeballing your retirement, and then all of a sudden the economy crashes, your retirement nest egg dwindles away, and all of a sudden the thing that gave you comfort is no longer there, and you're back asking the same question that you've asked at different seasons of your life. Where do we find life? It's incredible if you live long enough. And this is one of the things that happens as you kind of come into adulthood. For some of you young people, young adults, you're just starting to wrestle with the full weight of reality about these big questions. Life has a way of bursting the artificial bubbles that we surround ourselves in. And so most of us as human beings, we go through seasons of our lives where we are actively searching for good answers. And all of us find, if you're like me and if you're like Bono, like the writer of the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We all find in life a lot of dead ends. There are a variety of ways that you and I search this world to find answers, to find life, to find meaning, to find purpose, to find joy and sustenance and satisfaction. There are a variety of ways that we look, directions that we look on our search. And if you're like me, you've found that there are no good answers on this earth. Look with me for a minute at some things that I just thought off the top of my head, ways to understand our search as human beings and the dead ends that we find in the search for life on earth. First, I think all of us, we end up obviously looking around us to see if there's something or some substance or some somebody that if we kind of get around us or if we consume that substance, that that maybe something around me is the answer to the question of life this idea about something around me. But not long into it, it doesn't take very long to find that comfort and consumption is a myth. What happens if you, if you talk to the, the person who's a recovering drug addict, they'll tell you that the more you consume, the more you need, and it becomes this dead-end pit. Or the more you accumulate, the more you need. And you thought that once I get that house, that's going to satisfy my longing. Then you realize a few years in, you know what? I think I need a new house. It's a myth that we're going to be able to satisfy the big questions of life deep inside of us by things we find around us. And so some of us, we look above us. What do I mean by that? I mean, maybe I can't find satisfaction by something I consume or attain, but maybe I can in something I accomplish. That maybe if I climb the corporate ladder, or if I win at sports, or if I'm held up as beautiful, or if I get Facebook likes, or if I become Instagram certified, then maybe that will bring me the life that I'm looking for. But if you talk to anybody, if you find a celebrity and you're able to corner them, I'm, I'm always jarred by that quote that Jim Carrey said, you know, I wish that everybody could get rich and famous and realize that there's no answers here either. That it doesn't matter how high you climb, you can't seem to climb high enough. And so we find that the answer for life isn't found above us either, that, that it's a myth that status and success will somehow fulfill that life longing and answer those big existential questions. And so that leads a lot of us to look beneath us. What I mean by beneath me, I mean the idea that if I can just control and command my circumstances, 
If I can get a good retirement in place and get a wife who will listen to me and do what I say, good luck. If I can just make sure that everything in my life and my world is just so, then my life's questions will be answered. But all of us, if, you're, if you've lived life any time at all, you realize that just the moment you take hold of control and you take control of something, life or time or circumstances or COVID has the power to rip it out of your fingers, out of your grasp, like sand slipping through the palm, through your fingers, we find that there are dead ends when we look for life beneath us, that it is a myth that control and command of things will actually bring you life and answer the existential questions. Now hang with me because this is laying the groundwork for the gospel. We got to go here on this philosophical journey for a minute. There's another place that we look and this is the most common place in our day and age. In the last 30, 40, 50 years, there has been a massive premium put on this search, but more and more people are finding this is a great dead end as well. People find that, you know what? There's no life around me. There's no life above me. There's no life beneath me. It's not found in controlling others or my circumstances. So maybe life is deep within me. Maybe life is found deep inside of me. And so I need to go and I need to stay true to myself. I need to find myself. I need to discover myself. And you've seen in the last half century human beings looking inward for answers more than ever before. And yet the data on where that is leading us as we look at society, as we look even in the last six weeks, how so many people have begun to realize how wholly inadequate answers inside of me are to answer the big questions outside of me. And so here we are, we've all dealt with this journey, finding these dead ends in the search of life on earth. And it leaves us with this major sobering reality that I suspect I didn't need to spend too much time convincing anybody watching today of. And that is this, that no matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter who we find, no matter what we do, true life is not found in this world. You will never be able to get enough of it. You will never be able to hold on long enough, control it strong enough. True life is not found in this world. True life cannot be fabricated by us. It is something that is outside of us and it cannot be found in this world. In the Bible, the Bible has a character named Solomon. Solomon, he's uh, in the Old Testament. He's the son of David. He was the king, great, one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. He was the richest, probably the most powerful. He had everything. And he was talented and he was the wisest man, it says, in all of the Bible after Jesus. And so it was Solomon that wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And if you, I, I probably wouldn't well, maybe you can read it during the corona crisis. We do need to learn the art of lamenting. But let me tell you something. If you want a pick-me-up, Ecclesiastes is not the place to start. But the book Ecclesiastes is like King Solomon just venting and lamenting his frustration with the fact that here I am, Solomon says, I have all the money in the world, all the power in the world, all the prestige in the world, all the influence in the world. I've got all the women, all the things that I could ever want. And he says it's all meaningless. It's empty. 
It's shallow. It's hollow. It's here and it's gone. It does nothing for me. And Solomon, who sits at the pinnacle of all of the things that you and I would think that might do it, he's sitting there and he says, this isn't it. This is meaningless. It's nothingness. And he wrote this statement and he, and he is out of the wisdom of his dissatisfaction with things that couldn't satisfy him. And he says, here's why all of it's meaningless. It's because God has placed or planted eternity inside the human heart. That inside of us, there is a longing for eternity, a longing for heaven, a longing for life, a longing for God that no earthly thing can satisfy. We are longing for transcendence. It was C.S. Lewis that said, if we find ourselves with a desire that no earthly thing can satisfy, then maybe the most probable explanation is we were made for another world. And most people on planet Earth have moved from the question of just solely searching for answers in life on Earth to actually looking upward, looking heavenward, and asking the question, where do I find God? that it is transcendence. It's something more. And did you know that, like, don't believe the myth today that there are so many people who don't believe in God. Do you know that it's like about 2% of the globe's population that would say they don't believe in God? 98% of human beings, doesn't matter their religious or national background, 98% of them would say, obviously there is a higher power out there. Obviously there is a transcendence. They, like C.S. Lewis, surmise that obviously I'm made for something more that the natural world can't satisfy what's in me. There's a supernatural longing that exists inside of me. And so human beings, we all, most all of us look not just to the world to satisfy, but we start this search for God. But here's the thing, that search for God isn't that simple either. If you've ever been on that journey, you know how frustrating and how difficult the journey to find God is. This is why there's thousands of religions on planet earth. This is why all of us have different stories of, of roadblocks and dead ends that we found in our search for the transcendent, in our search for a higher power, for the divine. We've all had the difficulty of the infinite search for life in God. We've done it in a variety of ways, similar to the way we search the earth. We also search the heavens and we try to think about how we can relate to God. And we find a lot of dead ends in this. Hang with me. This will help you understand where we go wrong. And then we're going to get to why the gospel is good news. Look at this. First, a lot of us, we think, and you see this common in our day and age, a lot of people think, well, you know what? I'll, I'll take some of this religious book and I'll apply it to my life and maybe God will bring me some self-betterment. But here's the thing. That, that does not lead to any actual eternal satisfaction because if God is some force that you and I can manipulate and just kind of take and control and we can live life over God, that he's just this being that I invite into my heart, then he's really no God at all, is he? And the Bible reveals God to be something altogether different, that God is holy, that he's higher than our, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that he's, that to, to see him is to be consumed. He's an all-consuming fire, the Bible says. Like, if he's God, then he's other and he's different. So this idea of living life over God, we all need a God that cannot be manipulated by our little frail hands. And so many of us search to, to, to try to come under God, that maybe the answer to relating to God is that we find life by following the rules and being a good person so that in the end, this God will let me have life and life eternal. 
But the problem with that is if you've ever endeavored to be a good person, I have found that I'm just not good enough. I'm not good at being good. Anybody? And so we look beyond that and we think, well, maybe that's not the answer. And so some of us, and these, these are getting progressively closer to the mark, but these are not the answers. Some of us move to living life for God, that we're going to find life by making God proud, that it's in the things that we do for God, that I'm going to just live out my purpose for him. And there's, again, there's connection to what the real truth is. But what happens is we end up striving to please an infinite God with our finite efforts. And there is a gap between what we accomplish and who he is. And we, how do we know if it's good enough? And so many of us have tried to live life from God. That if we're a good person, we pray the right prayers, we believe in faith, that maybe God will bless us and give us the things in life that we want. But subtly what happens with that approach is we start to find that what we really want isn't God. We want what God gives us. We don't want the gift, the gift, or we don't want the giver. We want the gifts. And so we find that to be a dead end as well because we are right back to square one that we're looking for life from things on earth. And so we've come to another sobering reality, and this is the backdrop of the gospel. And I wanted to lay this groundwork to get to the good, to the good news here. But here's the other sobering reality, and that is this, that no matter what we do, how we try, heaven, life, God, is not in our reach. It's not in our reach, no matter how hard we try. And I, I, I don't want to be, I didn't come today to be the bearer of bad news. In fact, I'm about to get to good news, but you cannot understand the good news unless you embrace the reality of the bad news. Carl Sagan was partially right that we are off, alone, vulnerable. We are, we are absolutely limited in our ability to self-sustain. And so, and his, but his point was, well, you better be nice to each other and you better enjoy this life because it's all there is. But that's where he falls short and that's where the gospel comes in. The gospel says that you and I aren't alone and that although we can't get to heaven and we can't get to God and we can't find life ourselves, the gospel of Jesus is that life, heaven, God found us. This is the good news. Here it is. The good news is God, life, came to be with us in the person of Jesus. He came to be with us. I want you to say it with me. He came to be with us. With us, say with us, with us. Yeah, you got to help me. I know you're sitting on your couch, you're all cozy, you're chatting with your friends. Pay attention. We're talking about some good news here. In Jesus, life finds us. We are invited to have life with him. This is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is that God came to bring us life in himself, in relationship with him. And this is fundamentally different than every other religion on planet Earth, than every other endeavor. It's not about trying to find life in this substance or that circumstance. It's not about finding life in controlling things. It's not about finding life in this or that. It's also not about finding God by trying to climb the moral ladder and achieve and attain enlightenment. The gospel is that God came to us. Life came to us to be with us and that we could, in his presence, in relationship with with him experience true, new, eternal, lasting life that cannot be taken away. That's good news. That is the good news of the gospel. Now, I don't have a ton of time because we realize the online attention span. I do it too. I know it's hard to pay attention. So I'm going to do like a 
F-18 super hornet flyover of the Bible story to show how the plan was for God to be with us. So I want you to like put up your tray tables, fasten your seatbelts, make sure your seat back is right because we're going fast. You ready? Get your Bible, get your pen. You can come back and you can pause this later so you can get everything. But this is basically how the Bible breaks down the good news of God being with us. It tells us that we have been designed by God for God that he created us in his image and that we were made to have his presence. This is why when Solomon says God has set eternity in our hearts, it's because God had a place placed in our hearts just for him. The Bible tells us that through sin, we have been cut off, severed from relationship with God. And so that, that explains the longing and the vulnerability that we all feel trying to answer the question, I know I was made for life. I know I was made to last. I know I was made to live. Where do I find it? It's because of the reality of sin. But then the Bible tells us that God did not leave us off to spin off like the pale blue dot in the universe until we all just fizzle out and die. But he looked on us in our helplessness because he desired to be with us, he pursued us and he came to us. And then in Jesus, he comes and we are delivered by him through the payment of his blood and we are reconciled back to God to be in right relationship with him. And then the Bible ends off here at the very end in Revelation that we are God's people and we, get this, live with him. And this is the flyover. It says right there in Genesis chapter 2, when God made us, God breathed the breath of life into the man and he became a living being. You were made for God. You were made for God. You will never be satisfied until you are in relationship with God. Until God breathes the breath of life into you, you will never be fully alive, ever. Then it tells us that sin came into the, into the picture. Humanity rebelled and were broken off from that right relationship with God. This is why it says they realized they were naked, vulnerable. And so they sewed fig leaves together, tried to make coverings, find solutions in the world around them. Sound familiar? We've all done it. And then it tells us that God comes and he's walking through the cool of the garden. And look what he, look what he says. It says, he, he was, but the man, the man, uh, but the Lord called to the man. So he's looking for the man and the woman. The Lord called out. And this is an amazing statement right there in Genesis 3. God says, not what have you done? Not what did you do? He says, where are you? This is the question that God is giving humanity since the moment we fell from right relationship with him. Where are you? God desires to be in relationship with you. And then it tells us that the, the rest of the, the Old Testament starts to foreshadow what God is going to ultimately do in Jesus. And then John tells us, it gives us it succinctly, John chapter 1, if we had time, tells us that Jesus, who was God and is God and was with God, became flesh and dwelled among us. And then John says in John 3.16, this summarizes the gospel. It says, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Those feelings of vulnerability are real, by the way. They're real. They're not lying to you. You are vulnerable. You are limited. You are really, sorry to use this crass term, you're screwed, really, without inter divine intervention. But look, it says God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. What? Through him, 
meaning in proximity, in relationship. The solution wasn't that God was going to lift us out. The solution was that God came down in and that we could be with him because when you're with him, you're with life. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, that there is a connection between fullness of life and the presence of Jesus. This is the gospel. The gospel begins with God, and it begins by God being with us, God coming to us to save us. And the end of the story, the book of Revelation 21, and we're almost coming in for a landing, tells us that the very end of the story says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. See, it is there again. Proximity. And he will dwell, say it, with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be, say it, with them and be their God. God's desire is that we would be with him. Our design is that we must be with him. And that through Jesus, it has been made possible that we can be with God. And that when you are with Jesus, you are with God. And when you are with God, you are with life. And you are with purpose. And you are with meaning. You are with hope. You have protection. You have power. You have comfort. You have sustenance. You have satisfaction. You have direction. It's all in Him. When you're with Him, you're with life. That is the good news. That's the gospel. The good news is this. Mark it down. Write it. Screenshot it. Remember this. This is it. Here's where, here's where the good news really begins. The good news is, in Jesus, life has come for you. The good news is, you don't have to find life. Life came finding you. Wow. The good news is that life is found with Jesus. If you're with Jesus, you're with life. If you're with Jesus, you're with eternality. You're with transcendence. You're with all the things that you and I are looking for. This is the good news, that when we are with Jesus, we are with life. This is what David meant when he, when he penned the, the, the psalm, Psalm 23. Many of you might have been reading it lately. Psalm 23 says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, David says. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows because I'm with you. And then he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because he's following him. And as you follow Jesus, you follow mercy, peace, life, joy, hope. This is the great answer to all of the existential questions in your and my life. What is the answer in the corona crisis? Well, I, I don't know in the, in, the, in the short term, but in the grand scheme, being with Jesus is the ultimate solution that you and I need. He's the peace we need. He's the ultimate healing we need. He's the hope we need. Jesus is the answer. He's, he's the answer for job loss. You know what? You get your job back, I hope you do. You get your RSP filled back up, I hope you do. But guess what? Those things will disappear someday. Is your comfort, is your retirement plan, is it actually everlasting? If you get Jesus, it is. The gospel is that God is with us. It gives us ultimate peace to know that you're with Jesus. I was thinking about it like this, you know, especially in this time of coronavirus and many of us are struggling and anxiety's high and the unknown's high. You know, what brings us peace? The ultimate peace comes from 
being with Jesus, who when I'm with him, means that I'm with that he who is under ultimate control, he who has the power to not just bring me over it, but to bring me through these seasons. And I was remembering this week, uh, being a little child, my, my dad and I would often, I, I remember being like two and three years old, some of my earliest childhood memories. My dad and I would go out in his little, you know, 12 foot, 14 foot aluminum boat with a nine horsepower Viking motor out in the St. John River. And we would boat for hours. And sometimes the wind would come up and it would be really rough. And I can actually remember some of my youngest memories of my dad putting life jackets down by his feet and on the long ride home, even with the waves crashing, him putting me down by his feet, and I can remember falling asleep at his feet to the thump, the thump, the thump of the waves. Why? Was it because the waves weren't scary? No. Was it because it was comfortable? No. It was because I was with my father, who I trusted had ultimate control over the situation. Well, now that I'm, even though I think my dad's an absolute hero, I know he doesn't have ultimate control over every situation, but Jesus does. And when I am with Jesus, I am with control. I am with peace. I am with hope. I am with life. I am with forgiveness and mercy. All the things, I am in proximity of it when I am with Jesus. And that is the good news today. We rest, we hope, we have peace, we have joy, not because of our circumstances, but because of a someone that we're with. His name is Jesus. That is the good news that I wanted you to hear today. Here's some questions I want you to answer before we're done today. Here's some questions in the light of the good news. First, where am I looking for life? Where am I looking for life? Are you looking to find life in your RSP, in control, in consumption, in success? Where, where are you looking for? Can I, can I suggest to you that you might find the thing you thought you wanted and then discover that it's completely inadequate to satisfy what you really need? What would change for me or you if you really believed the announcement that life is found with Jesus and Jesus has come for you? What would change? Second question I want you to think about this week as we meditate on this study. How am I relating to him? How do I relate to Jesus? Do I think of God? How do I relate to God? Do I think of God as someone to live for, someone to live from, someone to live over, someone to live under? Or is he someone to live with? What would, lo what would it look like for me to focus on being with God this week? What if God didn't want you to accomplish anything? What if he just wanted you to abide? What if the, the goal wasn't so that God could fix anything? What if the goal was just that you'd find his presence? What would change for you? How would that affect my satisfaction and my security and my sense of self if I made my goal to abide and to be with Jesus this week? That is the good news. Have you given your life to Jesus? That's the question I want to ask you. Uh, maybe some of you who are already believers, I would encourage you to think through, are you subtly and slowly, if you have anxiety in this season, if you're struggling to find peace, could I suggest to you that you're maybe looking to the wrong things to provide it? Look to Jesus. And I think there's a bunch of you I want to be aware that are looking for answers today and you've never given your life to Jesus. And so what I want to do, just as we end, I want to pray for all of us that we would learn how to, how to be with Jesus, how to come to him, how to give him our lives and that we would be a follower of him, that our goal would be to stay with him. I'm going to pray that for Christians, but I'm also going to invite you to pray along with me and maybe give your life to Jesus for the first time. So let's pray and let's ask God, the God of incarnation, the God who came 
same for us. Let's ask that we would be more aware of his presence than ever before this week. And that as we abide with him, we would experience life, real life, lasting life that cannot be taken away by circumstance. So Heavenly Father, thank you today. Thank you for this truth. Lord, I pray that the, the, the reality of our limitations would arrest us, that it would, it would actually weigh us down to the point where it causes us to look in the right direction, to no longer look to solutions that cannot actually satisfy, and that, God, we would, from the, the, the position of the, on the pale blue dot, cry out to a great and mighty God who would come and be with us. And so, Jesus, for every believer today, I pray in the power of Jesus' name, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray this week that every person under the sound of my voice would experience an extra sense of withness, that they would absolutely sense your presence this week like never before and make your presence their, their goal. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, as we'll talk about in a few weeks, that, that you gave us the Holy Spirit, that this isn't just some concept that we have to understand and sort of believe, you know, metaphysically that you're, you're with us, but literally through the presence of your Holy Spirit, as we believe in you, Jesus, you're with us. And so, God, I pray for an increased awareness of the Holy Spirit this week in all of our lives. And now for the one who's never given their life to Jesus, Lord, we just pray this out loud, and I invite you to pray right with me. Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, I know I need saving. I turn to you. Thank you for finding me. Take my life. Lead me, guide me in the way everlasting. I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that simple prayer, it's not magic. What happens is the, the posture of your heart, God hears that and he honors that. And I believe you've been born again. And if you have, I'd invite you to let us know today before the end of the day. Thank you, church. Thank you for tuning in today. Be blessed this week. Melanie and I miss you so much. I love you. I can't wait to see you. And I'm trusting God with you, praying for you every day that God's grace will absolutely overwhelm you in this season.